What's up, everybody? It's IBS Eases coming at you guys live with the second week of the IBM Weekly Podcast with the host, Keith Fleming. Um, <clears throat> just to let you guys know, if you hear screaming in the background, it is IBN's favorite child mascot, Tristan, getting the bath and being put to bed, so nobody calls CPS. Everything's fine here, I promise. I'm going to hand it over to Keith real quick while I go run and make sure he's placed in the bathtub, and then I'll be right back. Keith, it's all yours. Thank you, buddy. I hope uh, Tristan uh, has a good bath and uh, goes to bed quickly. Uh, we're going to, on today's episode, recap last week in the NFL, uh, then go over this week's games. We have three games that we're going to both uh, talk about, uh, both from just a football perspective and also from a gambling perspective. And then uh, we're going to talk about the President's Cup at the end of the podcast for a little bit. It was a historic one. Tiger Woods, uh, part of a historic comeback in the President's Cup, probably the most exciting one to date. Uh, but let's get started with our picks from last week. Uh, Allen went 2-1. and one. Uh, I went 0-3. It needs to be said again that Allen is the expert. I think that that is self-evident by the results this week. Uh, the, the three games that we did were the Titans uh, and the Texans, which we both got wrong. We both liked Tennessee in that one. Uh, the most impressive one was obviously, from a pick perspective, was Allen telling me that the Cowboys and Rams were, I took the Rams getting four points. He took the Cowboys giving four. He called that a classic Vegas trap line. Uh, and, I mean, he nailed it. The Cowboys dominated the Rams the entire game. I just couldn't help but think about what Allen had said on the podcast, that this was – uh, basically a trap line that we were living in the moment too much of just the last couple of weeks' results and not the bigger picture. Vegas usually knows something when they do something like a line like that. And, I mean, by the first half, the game was over. It was over. So the Cowboys got a much-needed win. The Rams were basically eliminated from the playoffs with that loss. They technically are still alive, but they, they need the Vikings to lose both their last two games. They need to win their last two they have very difficult games coming up. Uh, the Vikings have a tough game this week, not so tough week 17. Uh, the 49ers had one of the more baffling losses of the season against my Atlanta Falcons. I, I don't know what to say about the Atlanta Falcons anymore other than when I want them to win, they lose. When I want them to lose, they win. Uh, I just knew when they scored the touchdown to make it a one-score game that they were going to somehow come back and win this game. They won it after not one but two reviews on touchdowns. Uh, the Austin Hooper play was overturned, and the Julio Jones play, which was originally called not a touchdown, it was also overturned for a touchdown. So my Falcons are going to end up right in the middle of the draft order and just drive me crazy. But this loss really hurts the 49ers. Uh, they're going to need a lot of help to not only win the division, but to get a bye. Uh, and elsewhere in the NFL, the Patriots, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Packers, the Saints, the Vikings, and the Seahawks, all teams that are pretty much definitely in the playoffs that they haven't officially clinched. They're very close to. They all took care of business against teams that weren't, you know, very good football teams. And then the Bills, which was our third game that we picked, uh, I like the Steelers giving two points. Uh, Allen liked the Bills getting two they defeated the Steelers thanks to way too many turnovers by the Duck Man, uh, the Steelers quarterback at home. It uh, was a week that really kind of solidified 
if not the playoff matchups, the playoff teams, a lot of teams were knocked out. I didn't mention the Raiders lost in just a horrendous fashion to the Jaguars in their last game in Oakland. Uh, and an interesting trend that I've heard on a few podcasts and, and some things I've written or read this week is just how home field advantage is sort of dying in the NFL. Uh, I think we all know and, and we've discussed before that, you know, the home team basically gets three points. But if you look at all the home teams that lost this week, home teams that had no right uh, to lose, uh, it is it does beg a question. And I saw something where against the spread, I think they're only winning like 35% of games this year, which is just a crazy stat. Typically, and I have to get Alan to uh, let me know if that's been the trend for always, but I'm assuming from what I've read that in the past, home teams typically do – a little bit above 50% against the spread. They're way below that this year. Uh, and um, the three games that we're going to talk about this week, and we'll get into each one of these one-on-one, is the Buffalo Bills go to New England. It's a obviously a big playoff matchup for uh, the AFC East and seeding. We have the, Min- or the Green Bay Packers going to Minnesota. Uh, that will have a lot to do with who wins the NFC North. And then we have the Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles, which also will play a huge role in the NFC East. So we basically have three matchups this week between the one-two seeds uh, in their respective divisions. It's actually a really good slate of games this week. Uh, I mean, there, there really is a lot of good games. The Saints play the Titans. I think the Bucks play the Texans. There's some good games. Alan, is there any game that you want to start with, or does it matter to you uh, where we go? No, it doesn't matter where we go. All right, well, let's just start with Buffalo at New England. New England is giving six and a half points. They won a close game early in the season in Buffalo, 17-10. The Pats' offense has been just bad, honestly. They've, they've been scoring 21.6 points per game over the last six uh, outings. The Bills clinched the playoff berth with their win in Pittsburgh last week. They have won games on the road at Pittsburgh and Dallas with a close home loss to Baltimore sandwiched into between. This stat is just mind-boggling. The Pats have won 34 of their last 39 games against the Bills. Yeah, that's right, 34 of 39. They only play twice a year, so that's basically in the last 20 years. They've won a, a whopping five games against the Pats. Uh, this game would clinch the AFC for the Pats again, but a loss would not mean the Bills are going to win the AFC East. In fact, it's, it's still really difficult to see the Bills winning the AFC East title because even if they beat the Pats, the Pats would then still have to lose to the Dolphins in Week 17, and the Bills would have to beat the Jets. Uh, where are you leaning right now uh, on this game? I mean – Conventional wisdom is they lean to the uh, to the Patriots here, um, but this Patriots team is very vulnerable. Um, I've been saying it all year. Um, they're struggling on offense. I don't think playing the Bills is going to fix that. I, I wouldn't dare pick the Bills to win outright, but if by some miracle, some Christmas miracle it happened, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm totally shocked, but think the safe play is to take as many points as you can get with Buffalo. Um, they should keep it close. Uh, you also have to look into the fact that the um, the kicking woes of the Patriots kind of plays into that spread as well. Um, I don't know if they fully, like, you know, solved that so far. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at 
some kicking woes, an ugly game. It's a grind out game. Um, Josh Allen somehow keeps it close because he, he is relatively athletic, and I think those are the types of quarterbacks that can um, that can give the Patriots real fits um, in this particular defensive scheme that they have this year. They're very, very high uh, man-to-man coverage. Um, they've got great corners, but if a quarterback can buy a little bit more time, it's, it's going to be difficult in general, and I think that's part of the reason why they had some trouble with uh, Lamar Jackson um, because they're not very athletic. Uh, Lamar obviously has 100 times more vision than Josh Allen has, but the ability to extend plays in the passing game um, should bode well for the Bills to at least um, keep this game around a manageable spread. I would assume that the public is going to hammer that a little bit. People still love the Patriots, man. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the types to also think, you know, in years past, if I seen a six and a half line, in in New England, I'm hammering that all day, every day. Like, there's no way. But this is not that type of Patriots team. And I think uh, Edelman's um, having some issues with his with his knee um, that they've reported. So even if he plays, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, Brady's a little nicked up, which he usually is around this time, whether you believe the reports or not. Um, and like I said, I just I anticipate a competitive game from a motivated Buffalo team who, who can sense blood in the water and will do everything that they can to, to win this game. Because the stuff that you were reading about the Patriots' success against Buffalo, I'm, I'm 100% sure they all know that as well. This has been one of their better years from a, a record standpoint, so they're going to want to definitely cap that off with the win here. I, I'm also taking the Bills and the points. I, uh, I'm i just rooting for the Bills in general. I, I, I think we can all say that this game – has a lot to do with, you know, there's been a lot of narratives that is the Pat's dynasty dead. And and we've seen this before where a lot of stuff's been said and written, and then they go on to win the Super Bowl. But also, if you look at any great dynasty in sports, great players, if they get older, it just kind of ends. You know, there, there's not – you kind of start to think that it's going to go on forever, and then next thing you know, it's just over. And it really does start to feel like it is. And I can't tell I mean, if it's I Tom Brady say, really is washed up. I wouldn't say no, it's over. I wouldn't say it's over. I mean, the Patriots have always had <clears throat> years where they haven't been as dominant. Like, they have an off year here and there, and they still find a way to um, to still be the New England Patriots. I will say this. <clears throat> the real issue here is that the Patriots are not good enough to go on the road in a playoff game and beat the Baltimore Ravens. They're not. They're not good enough to go on the road and beat the Kansas City Chiefs this year. They're not. Okay? So um, them not having home field definitely will uh, give the impression that the clock is sped up. But the system is still in place. They're still an effective team. They just don't have the necessary weapons around the older um, Tom Brady. Um, They'll just have to draft a little better, maybe bring in some free agencies. If they still had Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon uh, type caliber athletes on offense, then we would be talking about them in a different light in the sense that they would probably be a lock for the number two seed because they, I truly believe they would have beat the uh, Chiefs outright with more athletes. Um, but the system, the machine that is the Patriots, is not going nowhere, man. Um, and Stidham is, is a capable quarterback. I followed him when he was at Baylor. He's a capable thrower. Um, I would love to see him um, in a Patriot-type system. I think he has the ability to manage it. But with the way they scout, 
and the coaching staff that they have, uh, the brain that is uh, Belichick, I have no doubt that this team will be back within the next year or two easily. Brady, as far as how well, he's going to play still, I don't know. I don't know. There are signs there that he's declining, but in the same breath, there are uh, flashes that is is not necessarily all gone south for uh, Tom Brady. He looks a lot better in his twilight than Peyton Manning did. There's no doubt about that, but that also doesn't mean that he's 40 years old. I'm, I'm a well, I was a huge Tom Brady fan. Because as a Falcons fan, you don't really have a team to root for in the postseason most years. So in the early mm-hmm. 2000s, I liked the past. You know what I mean? I just did. And then when what happened a few years ago, we won't get into that. That kind of you know flipped from a you know liking to just you know actual respect. Because I do respect the franchise, well, but I really do think that there is signs that like this could be the end. And, and it's not just the fact that, that they don't look as good. Uh, Brady looks obviously old. I think like truly old for the first time screw because he hasn't had a stretch like this. I can't remember ever where he's been, you know, throwing this much for this little yards and they just can't score or figure it out. And then the other thing that needs to be talked about is just what is going to happen with the latest recording gate because it looks really bad for New England. I think it looks worse. <laughs> than any of their other I mean, stuff because they knew what they bad. were doing and the it guy was bad. lying about it. And he got caught by security. The, the best part of that is um, <laughs> the best part of that entire video is um, when the basically security it sounded like when you pull over you get pulled over and he's like, hold tight, buddy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when he's trying to explain to us, like, oh, I didn't know. We should just delete that. But look, right. every dynasty cheats, bro. Every single dynasty cheats. There is not one dynasty in the history of sports that doesn't have something shady about them. I'm a Niners fan. I'm not even going to get into the shadiness that was going on when we had Bill Walsh and we were out there dominating the NFL. I'm not going to get into the shadiness that was the Cowboys when they were a dynasty as well. I'm I'm pretty sure cheating as a dynasty in Football from college to NFL is just it's just a given. Now the issue with the Patriots is is that it's so blatant, so blatant that it it's frustrating that it continues to ha- happen. Like it's it's sloppy, man. Like the the Niners cheated, the Cowboys cheated, but people didn't really know about it per se. Like they knew people, they knew that Bill Walsh and them were turning off the mics, but it, but you couldn't necessarily pin it on them. Like this video, man. Like this, this is this is disgusting. It's bad. Like, come on, bro. And it's the Bengals. It's not even necessary, man. But it just leads you to to believe that they've been doing this all along with with certain teams. I I heard uh, from the Rams. Uh, Marshall Falk has talked about it openly. How they had specific plays just designed. They're calling for that them out, Super Bowl, right? And they were calling them out, right? So. I, I, I have no no doubt that the Patriots cheat. I'm not really concerned with things like Deflategate, but re- recording signs and things like that uh, of that nature that, they, that they're accused of doing against the Bengals is a little alarming. Um, however, I don't think it tarnishes their legacy per se because they still got to go out and execute. I, I mean, they Absolutely. still have to. They, they still – like even, even with – the other dynasties cheating, nobody has been this consistent and this dominant in the NFL ever. So it can't tarnish that. Um, and, and if there's ever another team that comes along and establishes themselves as a dynasty, I'm 100% sure we're going to see other 
like shady things from them as well. Uh, but the the Patriots are vulnerable. This is their most vulnerable team, and it's because they're aging in in skill positions, and that's very very key. They're aging at the top of their skill positions, and then there's no middle uh, for them. Like uh, I think the, the kid from Arizona State, he's a rookie. He, ha- he he's not really proven yet, and he has his hiccups. They brought in Sanu, but Sanu's not really a – he's not a star, man. He's hes a wide receiver, too, on on 99.9% of the rosters in the NFL right now. And and you're depending, and that's the thing. The Patriots were depending on him, expecting him to, to elevate their offense, to, to stretch the defenses and do all these things, and he hasn't really done much. Um, without Gronkowski there, Gronkowski was a big part of their system on the offense and, and – some of the things that they tried to do in the passing game, even their packages, uh, the different looks they could give people and the way people had to play them according to where Gronk was on the field. It was such a big deal. And uh, Aaron Hernandez um, was the same way, like having them too. Like the Patriots had went to a different style when they added two big body or able body catching tight ends. And they tried to uh, replicate some of that with Gronk and then using Burkhead and, and some of these other guys out the backfield. But without Gronk there, it's, it's very predictable. Um, it's very predictable. Uh, again, they don't have the athletes that they used to have. Edelman doesn't necessarily get as much yak as he used to. He also can't get as much separation as he used to. Tom Brady can't necessarily throw into the windows as tight as he used to. Uh, just some of that's age. Some of that's just not being comfortable with his receiving core. So there are a lot of changes that I think um, happened a lot quicker than the than the Patriots anticipated. But again, I don't doubt that they wouldn't bounce back. Um, the only way I see them actually covering the spread, however, is if the Bills turn the ball over. If they get turnovers um, and they give away free points, basically, then then they've got a shot. But if the Bills play mistake free football. You can't tell me that they're not at least a, a, a touchdown close to the to the Patriots. I don't think the Patriots are are better than any playoff bound team right now by more than two scores. Well, that's what to me has been so impressive about Josh Allen this year. With you know his maturity as a quarterback is more than anything he has not turned the ball over a lot. And I think for the Bills to win this game, they really need to get Singletary, uh, their running back, who is very good in space. They need to get him the ball in space. That's been something for the last couple of years that the Pats have really struggled with is kind of shifty, quick backs out of the backfield on tosses and, you know, little passes in the flats. And uh, they should try to pound them with those. And it's just going to be very interesting because uh, it'll be one or two narratives uh, come Monday. It'll either be uh, is the Pats dynasty over or, you know, are they getting gearing up for a Super Bowl run? Because we know that's how the media likes to work. But I will say yeah. that I am seriously wondering that with everything happening, the fact that they've missed on a lot of draft picks lately, I still can't believe Lamar Jackson was there uh, just, you know, two years ago. And I thought for sure they were going to take him, and they didn't. And they took Sony Michelle. Uh, well, and it has not well, worked out. Lamar, Lamar, uh, in a Patriot system wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work. Like, yeah, but you're telling I, me I Bill really, Belichick wouldn't have found a way to to no, use him. It's not that he wouldn't even have if it's not even a quarterback at first. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that he wouldn't have found a way. I, I don't think that they would have wanted to move that offense in in that direction. I really think that um, 
for I mean, and I love Lamar Jackson. I did, I did, I think I tagged you in that write up. I did of Lamar. Like I, I did a whole breakdown right. of his career and his ability and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I've done a lot of video watching of Lamar Jackson, and um, Lamar is is a special talent, but he's unique. I think we, I, I, I sometimes get annoyed when people try to bottle him in just the Michael Vick perspective, like he's a lot of different things given whatever the situation is um, in, in the game. And he is a pro style quarterback. He has the ability to do a pro style offense, but he can't, he can't run anything like the Patriots system uh, because he doesn't analyze quick enough. And, and, to to put somebody in that position with with a guy like Tom Brady to even ask a team to flip back and forth to 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 run a two QB system here and there and and we'll run the read option and and, and uh, some RPO with Lamar and then we'll switch back to Tom Brady it's just too much to ask of anybody like it's just it's literally night and day so I don't I don't blame anybody that passed over Lamar Jackson because if you were not going to fully commit to Lamar Jackson being a quarterback, then you should not have drafted Lamar Jackson. And that's why I give the, the Baltimore Ravens a lot of credit. I was a little critical uh, when they drafted him um, at, at that spot. And I was critical because I didn't believe that they were going to really try to use him at quarterback and fully commit to him because of the same concept of having to switch from Flacco and then switching to Lamar. And once they bench Flacco and they and they really committed to Lamar, and you could kind of tell they wanted to do more. Once they brought in Greg Roman, I was more open minded, and and it's definitely proved to be the right move for them, and and they should be applauded for that because again, the NFL is very stuck in their ways. Um, they like to to package people like Lamar, not necessarily depend on Lamar or use Lamar. Guys like Lamar uh, used to be packaged. They would come in and, and run some plays here and there, but nobody would fully commit to having him as a as a full-time quarterback. Russell Wilson has better passing ability than Lamar Jackson um, coming out of, of, out of college into what people would think is a pro-style NFL offense. I'm using air quotes here. Like <clears throat> That is the difference between him and Lamar is that his, his mechanics and things like that, people, people – felt more comfortable with that. Lamar's uh, throwing motion is a little funky. Uh, he's, he's extremely athletic, which people just automatically want to put in a position where he can get the ball, but not actually give the ball to somebody, you know, like it's just, it, it was, uh, to me, it was groundbreaking. Um, honestly, I might be exaggerating to some people, but we've never seen anybody commit to this style of quarterback 100% through and through. They they didn't try to they didn't try to um, they didn't try to like bottle him into to some concept. They didn't go well. Use your legs. No, you need to stay in the pocket. They literally gave this man the ball, gave him a coordinator who was willing to work with his ability, and told him to play football. Be yourself. If you want to run, run. If you want to pass, pass. And, and, and they, that, they that's, embraced that. That's not and ran behind it. Go ahead. I I agree I agree with everything you just said, but what is the one thing people say about Bill Belichick over and over and over again is he can find guys that have not worked out in other organizations who have certain talents because he only puts people in situations where they basically can highlight their strengths and hide their weaknesses. And I think that he could I, I do believe that Bill Belichick uh, you know, especially if he was in his camp and he saw him on a daily basis, because I think it's what happened with Harbaugh, and then they truly realized 
what they had that eventually it would have been a game plan because, I, you know, and, and we spent too much time on this game, but yeah, I, I, I still think <laughs> that the Garoppolo trade was basically ownership telling Belichick to trade him. It still doesn't make sense for what they traded him for. Uh, and I do think there was some kind of rift there. And I think Belichick was looking, you know, for the heir apparent. Cause he, I mean, that's what coaches do, especially when yeah. your quarterback's 40 years old. And I do kind of wonder if, you know, did they miss on Lamar because of Belichick or was it ownership? But anyway, so we both yeah. like the Bills getting six and a half, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's move on to green. Do it, buddy. I say I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll go up. I'm, I'm expecting the public to push that to like seven and a half, and then I'm definitely taking it. All right. So Green Bay is uh, visiting two Minnesota. The Packers are trying to uh, clinch the NFC North, keep their lock on a bye in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Vikings are trying to clinch a playoff spot. They need one win. Uh, in the next two, this is following up a very disappointing 2018 season. Dalvin Cook's availability will play a big role uh, in this game and deciding it. He left the game this past Sunday against the Chargers. He re-injured his shoulder. I read in a couple places it was much worse than the initial injury. Have not heard anything since then. The Vikings are 6-0 and this year at home, but in their nine meetings against the Packers under Zimmer, the Packers are 5-3-1. and that includes a close win for Green Bay earlier this year, 21-16 at home. Rodgers has been good this year. I, I wouldn't say he's been great, uh, but they've been winning. Uh, the, uh, before this season, uh, the Vikings uh, have traditionally under Coach Zimmerman been one of the better pass secondary units in the NFL. Their worst ranking his first four seasons was 12th. This year, they're 19th. That may play a role. You may see a little bit more of Aaron Rodgers entering and out. Uh, you know, we said Dalvin's Cooks availability might be in question, but star receiver Adam Thielen, he didn't have, appear to have any setbacks in his return on Sunday against the Chargers. So the Vikings passing attack appears to finally be back at full strength. What do you think about this game? And like I said, right now, the Vikings are giving four points. Four and a half points. Sorry about that. Um... Wait, the Vikings are giving four and a half? Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting line, I guess. Um, I'm going to say Vegas is pretty sharp here for this one because I would, I would think it would be three, Um, especially with the news of Dalvin Cook potentially being injured. But I will say this, I don't anticipate, and I might be getting too far ahead of myself, but I don't anticipate much drop-off if Dalvin Cook is out um, because their backup running back has been pretty impressive. Well, that's the, the issue, time. though. He is, he is out, too. Like, like he oh, he's is already too? out, for sure. Matt oh, Madison okay. is definitely out. It would be their third string running back, which is why I wanted to ask you, like, I don't understand this line. Right. Unless they know Cook. Uh, let me see. <laughs> so... Let me go to the Packers then, and, and, and while, while I'm doing my research on the um, Vikings here. Packers, I can tell you right now, the Packers aren't a good team. They're not a good team um, right now, per se. Uh, they're winning football games, but they're not winning football games like they should. Um, I've seen reports and, and people breaking down uh, some some advanced numbers on um, on Aaron Rodgers, and basically Aaron Rodgers is leaving a lot on the field right now, and they're still winning. 
they're still winning, um, and that's impressive. But does that work against a good team? It'll work against a team like the Bears because they don't really have much of a quarterback. But does it really work against um, a team like the Vikings who um, are just as good as the uh, – as the Packers. And, and I think that would be the question. And the Vegas answer to that is no, it, it's not, it's not good enough. Um, I don't think the Packers are going to try to attack them through the air. I think the Packers have been utilizing their running game a lot more than, than people want to give credit for uh, a lot more than Aaron Rodgers likes to, to see them use it. But in this case, I think it would be uh, beneficial for them to, to use a more balanced attack. Um, when when going up against the uh, the the Vikings here, um, Packers are very good against the spread head to head against the uh, against the Vikings over the last three two and one against the spread. Um, for I guess if if I can't get a, a status like an official report on on the running game here because he's he's questionable right now, and then you said oh. Madison is questionable as well. They're both questionable. So uh, Xavier Rose left the last game. He's questionable. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, with that being said, if if you tell me Xavier Rose, Dalvin Cook, and then Dalvin Cook's backup is also questionable, I'm going to take the four with the Packers and say that somehow Aaron Rodgers gets the ball at the end of the game and, and does what he does with those, like, game-winning touchdowns against division opponents. So, um, it's a funky game, man, with with the injury status of, of who I consider like key players. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and preface that if Dalvin Cook uh, plays, I'm going to take your advice from last week and take the Minnesota Vikings getting four and a half. If he doesn't, it's a Monday night football game with Kirk Cousins versus Aaron Rodgers. If I'm getting Aaron Rodgers against Kirk Cousins with four and a half points, give me Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Yeah, I was gonna say, hold on. You you already said what I needed to hear is a Monday night game with Kirk Cousins. Aaron, just skip everything I just said. Take the points with the Packers. <laughs> Trust me. Take the points with the Packers. If there's a healthy trend, if there's a healthy trend when it comes to the NFL, that guy's what zero and eight in the Monday night he's game. Bad. I know he's, he's bad. He's awful. bad in prime time period. Jesus. Yeah. Never mind, man. Just just give me my points with the Packers and. In my Corey Carlton voice, who's the better quarterback? That's what I'm going with. <laughs> All right, so for the third game, we're going to go with uh, something that's near and dear to the IB man, R.C.'s heart. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys are going to Philadelphia. Uh, Dallas is actually giving two points. This has been the worst division in football. It could be decided on Sunday when the Cowboys travel to Philadelphia. The Cowboys are coming off arguably maybe their most impressive win of the year against the Rams, while the Eagles are coming off a second straight, very fortunate win against a inferior team. In the past 11 mm-hmm. years, the Eagles and Cowboys have had three de facto NFC East championship games late in the season. Uh, the infamous 2008 44-6 drubbing by the Eagles over the Cowboys. The following year, the Cowboys in 2009 got their revenge, winning 24 to nothing. Both teams made the playoff that year. And in 2013, God, this was a weird year. I don't even remember this. Cal Orton was the Cowboys' starting quarterback in a losing effort against Nick Foles. Uh, The Eagles made the playoffs. They were bounced by the Saints, I believe, in the first round that year. 
the Eagles, uh, you know, these are two teams that were both set up two years ago for what many thought a sustained run of excellence. The Eagles had just won the Super Bowl. The Cowboys had just drafted a stud running back and maybe still the draft of Dak Prescott. Two years later, both quarterbacks are somewhat in flux. The Eagles have already paid theirs, uh, and he didn't actually lead them to the Super Bowl. He has looked at times this year uh, not great, but in fairness to him, his his receiving core is just, I mean, literally the walking dead. And then on the other side, Dak hasn't been signed yet. Zeke has. Uh, Many wonder if if Dak is worth the kind of money, the contract that he would get on the open market, but – it doesn't seem like the Cowboys have much of a choice. Uh, I This is, again, one of those games that because of the franchises, the history, I have no idea. What do you see in this matchup? I see trash. I see unpredictability. I see Murphy's Law. And Murphy's Law says that, what, what is it, basically anything bad that can happen will happen. And in this Whatever case, will happen can yeah. happen. Yeah, or something like that. I'm, I'm thinking from a negative standpoint that I'm going with the Eagles here uh, because why not? Why not? They haven't done anything to earn this, and they have probably the secondary I've ever seen in my life, and the Cowboys have a big momentum boost because they just waxed the Rams, and they're going on the road. They're, be, they're playing an Eagles team that they've already kind of had the edge on anyway, and the Eagles just barely beat the uh, Redskins. And what would the public say? Oh, my God, the Cowboys about to drag these dudes. They just dragged the Rams. The Rams are good. Let me get the Eagles, man. Let me get the Eagles. It's just just uh, another, in my mind, another situation where the NFL is just going to NFL, man. You, you, you can't. You can't do nothing about it. And it's, again, low-hanging fruit, classic trap line. And it can backfire because the Cowboys are more talented and, and, to me, better on paper than the Eagles. But it's a division game. These dudes are at home. They got to win this game. The winner of this game basically wins the division. Let me get the low-hanging fruit on the Eagles. Well, I don't really we can't have an I'm telling you, it's just going to be because this is the NFL. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, we can't agree on all of our picks. So I'm actually going to take the Cowboys, give the two. Uh, I think both these teams are bad. Both these teams are headed to a, uh, you know, a first-round playoff loss, even though it's going to be at home. Uh, But I just – what to me is going to be interesting is I actually have a few friends that are Philadelphia Eagle fans, and they are not very happy right now about Carson Wentz, the contract he's already been signed to. And I just can see – but I'm just saying, if, if things go really bad on Sunday, and again, his receiving core is decimated. I literally, you know, between fantasy and just watching football and stuff, I know almost every player in the league, they have two or three wide receivers right now that I've honestly never heard of, ever. Uh, but I do see if they end up losing this game, especially if they get ugly, the Boo Birds coming out. I mean, these are the fans that boot Santa Claus. They're definitely going to boo. Carson Wentz and the Eagles, if they're not playing well, but uh, there will be a lot of eyeballs on this game. Is there any other games this week uh, that you are interested in, want to talk about, give insight, anything like that, or you want to move on to the President's Cup? Um, No, not really. I mean, I haven't really looked at some of the early opening lines. Um, I would just – 
tell people to be mindful of of situations where people are already in their secure playoff spot. Um, it doesn't really do them any good to really try. So be mindful of people's playing time, especially if you're doing fantasy sports. But um, other than that, Wait. no, no real lines that that stick out to me. Other than like I said, that that Eagles line is is basically what I was saying about the Cowboys last week. Like I, I I'm telling you, the NFC East man, and the NFC East. Games like this always favor the team that you think is going to lose. They always find a way to win, and the Eagles fit that bill. Well, you right just now. want the points, I, right? And those, and those yeah, kind of situations, no, I'm going go to take the Eagles. Points, right? I'm going to take the Eagles money line because again, it just doesn't make any sense. And this is the type of game that, when it doesn't make any sense, these jerks somehow find a way to win it. Man, I don't under I don't understand the NFC East, but that is one of the most consistent things. And the beneficiary in in years past have been the New York Giants in these situations where you're just like, they're not going to win. They're not good. Eli's going to throw three picks. And then they somehow, some way, find a way to win. I I really think it bodes bad for the Cowboys that they kept the Eagles around to be 7-7 and and have a a, uh, chance to really play. Um, And and I I think that this will be the week that they somehow bring it together. I'm even willing to say that Dak Prescott isn't going to have a good game and the Eagles secondary is somehow going to look good. I don't know. I mean, I'm just talking out the side of my neck, but I'm telling you, man, I've seen it too many times in this stupid division. And I would love to be wrong because I have a futures bet on the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl or at least getting to the Super Bowl. I doubled down on it. I was like, they'll get there and they'll win. So, by all means, I want to be wrong, but I am i don't feel good about it at all. So, One other thing real quick before we move on to the President's Cup. My uncle once told me uh, many years ago in gambling that in the NFL – the hardest weeks to gamble on are the first two weeks of the season and the last two weeks of the season. He said the first two weeks because you don't really know what teams are going to be, you know, what teams are going to be surprisingly good, what teams are going to be surprisingly bad. And then the last two weeks for kind of what you were getting at that you kind of don't know what the motivations are, who's playing for contracts, who's already in the playoffs so they may sit players after the first half, et cetera. Is that kind of a pretty good philosophy to go by or is that well, somewhat right well it is somewhat right uh in the first weeks i would say you can stick to um teams that you know are seasoned um and stick to uh, or try to try to avoid um try to avoid thursday night games um if you can um and then try to avoid the first year coaches and try to avoid uh, the teams who didn't play anybody during the preseason because there's going to be some rust. Um, at the end of the year, you want to um, – I wouldn't say I wouldn't say the end of the year is, is hard per se. You just want to make sure you know who's going to play and how long they're going to play. That would be the, the, the hardest part, and I guess that ties into the motivation factor. But with that being said, you, you get – points with bad teams. Let's say like the, the Dolphins or let's say the Dolphins get the Patriots to visit them the end of the year. Like like in the in this makeshift scenario. Dolphins have nothing to lose. They they already got their, their position. They're probably gonna be like three touchdown uh dogs this late in the year. Typical Patriot versus Dolphins um scenario. And the Dolphins would be very motivated to, to try to beat the Patriots because it's a division game. It means more. In that case, you could benefit from that, you know. Like in this scenario that we just talked about, you could benefit from the Eagles playing the Cowboys because if the Eagles were a 3-11 and, and like 11 team or 3-12 and 12 team, they would still give their all just to see Dallas lose. 
you know? So I would say that in the uh, later part of the season, uh, the last two weeks, you probably want to take as many points as you can get. Because there's no motivation for people to really cover spreads, you know? Right. If the if the Patriots were a 14-point favorite against the Bills, they just need to win. They don't care. <laughs> you know? Exactly. But the Bills are going to care because they, they want to win. So they're going to keep trying. So, I, I mean, it, he's he's right. He's right. Um, you know, he just worded it a little differently than I would have. But I think his line of thought is, is correct. All right, so we're going to finish the podcast talking about the President's Cup. Uh, if you didn't watch, you should have. It was great. It was on during primetime all last week. The U.S. came back, won a thrilling President's Cup by a score of 16-14. to 14. Uh, What was most interesting was there was a legit time in the second day of matches. They do five points, five points for the first two days, and they do eight points. Uh, the second day, and then they do 12 points the last day when it's all the singles matches, so everybody plays. But during that second set of matches, there was a legit chance at one point through basically nine holes of those matches. The U.S. could be down one – basically they would have one point and the internationals have nine, which at that point it's basically over. I mean, they they needed 15 and a half points to basically win the cup – Actually, they both did. I forgot. And the the one difference between the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup, they don't have the tie rule where if the defending champ or if there's a tie, the defending champ retains the cup in a Ryder Cup. And a President's Cup, if they tie, they're both champs. I don't understand that. Luckily, it has not happened yet uh, since they made it an official rule. So we're hoping that that never happens. I think it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of, ties in sports. But I guess, you know, they're looking at it from a perspective of, uh, you know, sportsmanship. But anyway, Tiger Woods had one of the best weeks ever for him. You could tell just by the joy in his face. He went 3-0 and this week. He played in both uh, the matches the first two days. He won both of those matches. He took the day that they played 36 holes off. He didn't play in either matches, which a lot of people question that. There were some rules because he was actually the captain slash player the captain is allowed to basically keep a uh, you know a microphone in their ear. He can uh, coordinate with the other vice captains. He can give advice to players. He has basically the ability to do a lot of stuff that nobody else can do. Now, if he is actually playing during the time he's playing, he has to take that piece out of his ear, give it to somebody else. A lot of people, or at least from what I read, thought that the reason he did not play that second day was in the first matches, he wanted to be involved with them because at that point, it was still looking like the internationals were, you know, potentially going to win this President's Cup. And then for the second matches, they have to actually get those pairings out about an hour uh, to 30 minutes to an hour before they go out and play. After the first match is finished, he wanted to stay out with those guys to the end and then also be involved with making the pairings for the afternoon matches. He would obviously have to get warmed up. Another factor, it was really cold that day, and we talked about many times that when it's cold, Tiger doesn't necessarily play well. But it was a huge week for the Americans, a big comeback. I felt almost kind of bad for the internationals. I felt bad for Ernie Ells. Let's go uh, kind of one by one on just some of the notes I had about this one. First off, did you watch this? Did you enjoy it? Um, I watched as much as I could, man. I kept falling asleep. <laughs> but, it was late um, nights. Yeah, but um, 
I would say I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the passion behind it. I mean, it's always good to see. Like, golf's such a uh, a sport where you, you're expected to not necessarily be emotionless, but be quiet about it, you know, like a fist pump. You're not expected to, like, yell or tell people to suck it and stuff like that. Right. Like, you know, like, you're not expected to act like Patrick Reed did, you know? And I was glad to see that. Exactly. Um, it was fun. It was fun to watch. And, um, I would say that my biggest takeaway, and, and I complained about this openly, is that the U.S. Uh, team was very rusty. Uh, we took a lot of names, and um, they didn't necessarily work that well together in, in some of the team format. But um, like you had um, hinted to uh, last week and then hinted to um, in the group, uh, the expectation was that we would keep it close enough or be in the lead so when we did break off into individual play, uh, that would be where we would, you know, take over. And, and it worked out. Um, I was glad to see Tiger win. I think Ernie Ellis is a punk, and, and he couldn't beat him. <laughs> he couldn't beat him when he played. So he was going to – He was gonna if the international team had a won, he was going to act like this was the same as beating Tiger playing. And I'm glad he didn't get that chance. I'm glad it was stripped away from him. I'm glad everybody who, who couldn't beat Tiger uh, by playing was, was – um, was um, robbed of that that ability to tell him that he failed because he he picked this team and this team didn't win and I'm glad Tiger played well so um, I'm I'm not a Tiger stand but I'm definitely a fan and I and I think that a lot of people still secretly prey on his downfall so every time he wins or does well it makes me happy absolutely and just to get into a little bit of what he's saying we'll actually go over two stories because they kind of intertwine one thing that I really noticed this week a lot of other people did was. Ernie Ells, who is known as the Big Easy because he's a laid-back dude. Uh, I don't know if many people know this. He has a son that has autism. He's done a lot of work for it. I mean, he's, he's from all intents and purposes a good dude, but he's very vanilla. And he was definitely very salty all week. If you listen to the press conference, because basically uh, each night before the next day play, the captains would have a press conference. That would be Tiger Woods and Ernie Ells. They would give out their matchups for the next day. It's actually a pretty cool thing where one captain would put a player or a team up, and then the other captain puts a player or team up against them. So it's kind of like a chess match. But there was just a lot of saltiness and just, especially early when things were going very well for the internationals, you saw a lot of emotion out of Ernie. He made some comments, uh, basically kind of not saying it outright, but basically saying that he had made better decisions with his players than Tiger had. And then you had the Patrick Reed moment, which for y'all, if you don't know, it was, the the crowd was pretty rowdy. It was like what uh, you were just talking about. It's the only event, just like with the Ryder Cup, where you'll see, like the Americans this time, were the away team. If they'd hit a bad shot, you'd hear cheering. If they'd hit a good shot, you'd hear booing. And you just don't hear that in the PGA Tour. And things can obviously escalate. Well, apparently they were giving Patrick Reed a lot of heat, which he honestly deserves for what he's done in the last couple of weeks. And apparently a fan got a little aggressive with him after the round. His caddy shoved that fan. From there, they basically suspended his caddy. He was not able to caddy for him for the final round, the singles match, which, by the way, Patrick Reed just rubbed uh, the guy he played. Uh, and that is kind of an interesting thing about Patrick Reed is you push him up against the wall and he always seems to fight back. But the interesting thing between Tiger and Ernie with that was Tiger made some comments in the press conference about how he thinks the fans should voice their opinions, they should have fun, but there's a line and it definitely was crossed. 
I actually have to give Ernie a lot of credit for his comeback because he's right. He said, give me a break. We played in a President's Cup in New York. Like, this is not that bad. And I do find it hard to believe that a bunch of, like, drunk Australians are worse than a bunch of drunk New Yorkers because, I mean, we've seen how uh, those crowds can be. But it just seemed like there was a lot of animosity between the two of them. And unfortunately for Ernie Els, at the end of the week, he was kind of Charlie Brown again with the football that he came so close. And at the last minute, Tiger Woods, you know, kind of pulled that football up, ended up winning, and, uh, you know, is not afraid to, to kind of bask in the glory of it. Uh, something else I just want to talk about real quick was, I, I don't know if you got to watch a lot of the celebration stuff afterwards. I thought it was very interesting that Tiger seemed to take this so much to heart and, like, just seemed to truly appreciate and enjoy this victory. He has talked a lot in the last five to ten years about how much more it means to be playing a team sport for something like this when it's for your country and with your countryman than even individual accomplishments, which is something Tiger would have never said. Obviously, 10, 15 years ago, he had a really rough record in the Ryder Cup, particularly in team events, honestly, throughout his entire career. And a lot of people thought he was just disinterested. And it's very neat to see him kind of embracing this. And Mm -hmm. one thing I think that really does at least have a lot of reason behind why it meant so much to him is, you know, he is the youngest person ever to be a captain. And I think when he accepted that, a lot of people were like, why is he accepting it? That was right around that period where I really think he truly didn't know if he was going to continue to be able to play golf. And I think this was his way to guarantee, even if he wasn't, he could still be around the game, do something good for it. And I didn't just think for him to, in that time period, come back, you know, get his back fuse back together, win Augusta, you know, win the Players' Championship, win at the Zozo, and now not only be the captain and made a lot of really good moves after they got down early in the event, but also he was 3-0 and and defeated the hottest player on the international uh, team in singles, that it just was, you know, kind of a perfect moment for him where – he not only did this, you know, team event where it's bigger than himself, but it's just also the fact that I don't, I don't think when he accepted to be the coach or captain that he thought he would truly be a playing captain because he didn't first start talking about this until around February of 2019. Before in that part he said, you know, I'm a captain, and he goes, if I get to a point where I could be a playing captain, we'll talk about it then. But right now, I'm basically just the captain. And I think that's probably why it meant so much to him. Uh, you got any other thoughts on this? Yeah, I was going to say winning definitely would make uh, would make anybody want to play. <laughs> I think he just said <laughs> that right. because, you know, at the time, I think Tiger's been very open about how cautious he has been um, in coming back. Um, I know there was, like, times early on uh, this year where he only played when the weather was a certain temperature, basically, you know, and then he, I think he tried with, uh, was it Best Page Black is what it's called or something like that, Tory Pons or something, no, I can't remember, it was one of those tournaments he's familiar with that he went to, and it was a little breezy, a little chilly, and it just wasn't working right, his back got stiff and stuff, and then he took some more time off, and then he came back for the Masters, and then he was looking great, you know, and, um, 
I think I think you're right. Yeah, it was Tory Pines. Yeah. I was say I think he's done well um, to get himself in a position right now where he he looks like he can play no matter what the weather and um, he looks focused um, and he deservingly um, was a playing captain. Now if, you, if when he first came out and said he was captain, if he had picked himself, I would have called shenanigans. But you know, obviously <laughs> by the end of the season and where we are uh, now, considering how he played on the uh, Asian uh, tour as well. By all means, put yourself in there, Tiger. And we needed him. Uh, the, I think the team, uh, those guys really rallied behind him. Um, having Tiger out there uh, with JT definitely probably helped JT play a little bit smoother. Um, and then having Tiger, you know, kind of encourage guys and cheer for guys um, probably motivated a lot of them as well. And um, I think it, in the end, he made the right choice. Now, I question some of the people he picked, but still, in the end, he made the right choice and they won. So can't be too critical about the result. Absolutely. And just one other thing real quickly on this is that uh, it was, or actually two things. One was it was really cool to see Tiger on the day that they did 36 holes, the, the two sets of matches, watching Justin Thomas basically make a putt to secure a huge point. And, I mean, he literally was smiling like a proud papa. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. literally, like, it, it was just crazy to see because this is the guy that – you know, I've obviously watched and has been my favorite golfer since I was 16 years old. And it's just, you don't see that, you know, and it's becoming more and more regular. That It's just crazy to see him embracing and rooting for other guys, even in team events like this. Uh, the mm-hmm. other thing is, and I, I stand by this, I, I put it up on the page, that I really believe while they got off to such a slow start, and I underestimated this, I mentioned this when we discussed it briefly last week, was that, I can only imagine the the pressure uh, on the players in that room because you know that, you know, a majority of those guys grew up idolizing him. And to go out and not only be playing with Tiger, but for him to be the captain, I think it put a lot of pressure on them. And I think it showed by the, they, they really gave away some points and especially like a chance at half points by just doing the little things bad, you know, like whether, you know, an untimely three-putt, a bad chip, putting the ball in the wrong place on a really difficult green. And I think that really played a role. And that does where Tiger, as captain, deserves a lot of credit that even though they were down, they fought back, he kept them loose. And I always tell people, if the Americans can just keep it close in in a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup, when it comes down to singles, for whatever reason, they tend to always do really well. And mm-hmm. I was pretty confident they would do that, especially with the pressure on the international team, considering they hadn't won since 1998. But I hope this leads to more good President's Cup because in the past, the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup are, you know, the Europeans are dominating the Ryder Cup. The Americans are dominating the President's Cup. And it's kind of boring. And it's more exciting if every cup is like this one or even like the Ryder Cup two times ago where regardless of the winner, it goes down to the last matches because I've heard numerous players say that that's the most pressured situation they've ever had in golf, like not in a major, but literally, you know, playing for a point down the stretch on Sunday in the Ryder Cup or President's Cup when you know that point may either win or lose, you know, the cup. Yeah, no, I I think um, team team comp and – 
in individual sports always makes it uh, pretty pretty uh, interesting. Like in track, you know, most people think of track as an individual thing, like you're running against other people from other countries or other teams. But in actuality, a lot of track is is as far as the meet goes. It you know you get points based off your place, and it helps the team. And then the climax of, of said track event is generally the relay race, and everybody gets hyped for the relay race. I think the Ryder Cup and um, President Cup are the relay races of, of golf, and I think that's why people get so much more into it. That's why that extra 100 yards on that sprint is a little bit tighter, and people run it a little <laughs> bit faster, you know. And the same way with uh, golf coming down the stretch on a Sunday in a Ryder or President's Cup is a little bit tighter and a little bit more pressure. Uh, because you you generally have the weight of said country or or world on your shoulders, and and I think that's what makes the event so great. Absolutely. So, are we going to have a name for this podcast by the next time? Uh, man, one one more week. We'll come up with something next week for sure. Um, I I want us I want us to get a little bit more into uh, college basketball. Um, as as we um kind of phase out NFL because it's coming you know the season's coming to a close eventually um there are some NBA storylines that we could get into as well uh the Rockets got into a fight with the uh with the Spurs if you want to call it that it was kind of funny but um as we go as we progress through um through the sports uh we'll probably add more and and phase out some other things golf will will be consistent because golf is going to pick up um, within the next month, I think we got the tournament of champions or something like yep. that. It's uh, like century. the second week. At, you have yeah, three century. weeks in a row in January. Yeah, pretty good golf in Hawaii. Yeah, and and people are are actually um, gearing up for the Olympics um, for golf. Um, I think Justin Rose and those guys who played in the last Olympics really did like a lot of um, good things for the sport because um, that's I think that was the first summer Olympic that they had golf. Or yep. I want to say so. Um, I know yeah, Tigers openly talked about wanting to represent uh, Team USA, and he's he, and I think he's got a chance, um, considering how well he's played and, and where his ranking is right now. Um, so that'll be an interesting storyline that we'll keep track of. Uh, my boy Wiseman is coming back from Memphis uh, next month <laughs> as well, so I'm definitely going to want to be talking about college basketball um, as well. And then again, like I said, NBA NBA is actually very competitive this year. Uh, teams are, are are competing left and right. We haven't seen the lulls that we usually see uh, at this time of the year with um, with Christmas coming. So um, we'll definitely have some stuff to talk about um, for like the Christmas matchups and things like that because those will be the most marquee games of the season so far. So I expect some fireworks as well. So Lakers um, Clippers, right? And the Lakers Clippers. Yeah, again, we're gonna Lakers, Lakers Clippers, and we're, we're gonna get all kind of stuff. So. Um, I definitely want to, to, like I said, to lean more uh, into those sports as well as they stay fresh. Well, it's week like, 17 even, next week, so the NFL won't matter. So we can definitely yeah. do just, you know, NBA college games. I'll even talk hockey, people. If it can be capped, I will probably be looking into it. So, but, yeah, man, I'm still learning myself. But uh, we will <laughs> definitely um, have a title for the show coming next week. And then, um, always open to the people listening and, and messaging, messaging us and letting us know topics that they would like to be discussed as well. Absolutely. Well, I enjoyed it, buddy, right. and I will uh, talk to you soon. Have a great week. All right, man. All right, this has been the okay. IBM Weekly Later. Podcast for December 17, 2019.
and we will catch you guys next week.